This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Genesis chapter 2, so open your Bibles there. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture in different places today, but primarily we're in Genesis chapter 2, talking about first things first. Um, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 introduces for us some, some firsts that we find in the Bible. They're important because uh, they're, they're the basics that God has, has uh, mapped out for us for the, His created universe. We're still talking about creation. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it today as we progress through. But let's ask God to bring our thoughts together here now. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together as a class. God, thank you for bringing Bob back to us, some others in our class today, Lord, that have been able to come back after being confined at home. And we're so grateful for that. Father, we we long for the day when we can all be back together again as a class, fellowship together, and um, do things together and just get back to uh, what we would consider to be normal. But God, we pray today that you will uh, intervene on our behalf. May the word of God be precious to us. I pray, God, that you'll give me clarity of thought as I teach this lesson today. Uh, God, we pray that you will teach us all what we need to know to help us to live better lives, more righteous lives, more effective lives. As we look into your creation today and, and various aspects of it, some of the first things, Lord, that you brought into existence uh, as a result of uh, creation. So we commit it to you and pray your blessing and ask for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The very first uh, point we have here is the first Sabbath. The first thing that we find, we run into here after creation is the first mention of Sabbath. The word Sabbath doesn't appear um, very, it doesn't appear at all in the book of Genesis. We don't run into the word Sabbath at all until we get into the book of Exodus. However, uh, when God talks about the seventh day, it has to do with the Sabbath. And we'll say a little bit more about that. But let me read for you the first three verses. You can follow along as I read of chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, which is a reference to the Sabbath, what became known as the Sabbath. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. And all his work, which he had done, from all of his work, which he had done and made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all of his work which God created and made. The words uh, seventh day are mentioned three times in these first three verses here. Um, But the word Sabbath, as as I mentioned, is not found in this passage. But Moses is writing about the Sabbath here. It's called the seventh day. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. If you have ever been to Israel, some of you have. You'll notice there that a lot you'll hear that word Shabbat. Well, it's the Hebrew word for Sabbath. 
and, uh, and that's where the word comes from. It means to cease working or to cease from rest. And it's related to the, seventh, to the Hebrew word seven. And so there are three different Sabbaths that are mentioned in the Bible. We have those enumerated here in, in, our, um, in, in our handout. And you already have the words spell, uh, put in there for you, so you can rest. You can make this a Sabbath for you. You can rest, okay? You don't have to write. So the first one is the personal Sabbath of the Lord. God himself made the Sabbath for himself. Now, that's not the only reason he made it. There are some other reasons as well. But this seventh day was for God, for him to rest. Kind of interesting that this first Sabbath doesn't take place because God was tired from his work of creation. In fact, uh, you don't need to look this verse up, but in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, God's, it says that God is never weary. And uh, so God can labor all day. He could labor seven days a week if he want, 24-7, and never get weary and, uh, and so he didn't, uh, he didn't create the Sabbath for himself because he was tired and he needed, uh, he needed to take a nap. That wasn't the case at all. He doesn't get weary. God set apart the seventh day because his work of creation was finished. He was pleased with it. He was satisfied with it. In fact, if you'll look up at the last verse of the first chapter, verse 31 of chapter 1, it says this. And God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was what? Very good. God looked at his creation and says, that's wonderful. It's very good. Uh, when we were looking at the first chapter a couple weeks ago, we, we looked, noted several of the days that he created. He says, that's good. But when he came to the seventh day, he, in retrospect, looked back and looked at all of his creation looked at that Garden of Eden, looked at the man that he'd made, hadn't made his wife yet, but looked at the man that he'd made and he said, that's very good, very good. But you know what happened? Man failed God. And what God made to be very good was ruined. We're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on. But anyway, there's three specific things that are distinctive things about this seventh day uh, of creation week. And so number one, there's no mention of evening and morning which suggests that God's Sabbath rest would have no end. No end to it. Uh, God created rest for himself without any end. Unfortunately, man's sin interrupted that interrupted God's rest, and God had to go back to work. He had to look around, had to search for Adam and Eve. They were hiding. They now had sinned, and they were ashamed of themselves. Um, at the end of this chapter, it says that the man and the woman were naked, and they were not ashamed. But when sin came into their lives, they started to hide themselves. They hid themselves from God. First of all, they hid themselves from God because they knew they had offended God. They, they became knowledgeable of sin. And they hid themselves. And they were even ashamed before each other because they covered themselves up, didn't they? Number two, there is no record that God blessed the other six days as he blessed the seventh day. 
Look at verse 3 again. And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. He blessed the seventh day. What does that mean? Well, in blessing it, God made, made it a blessing to those who observe that day of rest. You know, in the New Testament, God, Jesus told the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God not only, we're going to see this a little bit later on, but God created the Sabbath day and he blessed it to make, he, he blessed it to make it a blessing. The, seventh, the Sabbath day, which is now Sunday, it's been changed in this New Testament dispensation, but he made the Sabbath day to be a blessing to man as well as himself, getting a little bit ahead of our outline here, but, <clears throat> but he, he, he blessed it to be a blessing to men. And then number three, after blessing the Sabbath day, God sanctified it. What's the word sanctify mean? Somebody talk to me. What? Yeah, to set apart. God set it apart. It's a, it was a special day. What would be so special about this day? I mean, it looked like all the other six days were, were special as well, you know. Um, but God didn't, doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say he sanctified the other six days. He sanctified the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest. You know, that should put, that should put some thoughts in our mind. Uh, and this, to, to, to apply it to our, to this dispensation, that day of rest has been changed, of course, uh, by the New Testament worshipers um, to Sunday. This is the day of rest for us now. And uh, there's a reason why it was changed, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. But you know, when God says that uh, he sanctified it, he set it apart, that ought to tell us something about how sacred today ought to be. I don't know about you, but I was brought up that uh, Sunday was just a very, very special day. Mom did all of her cooking on Saturday, so Sunday she didn't have to do any cooking. You know, back in those days, you didn't go out on Sunday after church. You went home and ate with the family. And uh, you may have had the preacher over uh, for Sunday dinner, you know. Now we have Sunday dinner and a preacher. Now we have the preacher for Sunday dinner and he's not there. <laughs> what did I do here? I'm messing with this thing. This really looks good on live stream. <laughs> so does all the comments about the lights on live stream. You know, people watching by live stream. What's going on with the lights? Picking on you, Bob. <laughs> Where was I? What was, that? what was I saying before I rudely interrupted myself? <laughs> uh, uh, the Sabbath was very special. God sanctified it. He set it apart for a very special reason. And, uh, and so he sanctified it. You know, Jehovah was the God of all time, uh, this, uh, this time as well as eternity. And... Um, it was he who created time and established the rotation of the planets and their orbits around the sun. It was he who marked out the seventh day week, the seven day week, set aside one day for himself. Every living thing that God had created lives a day at a time. 
except us, except human beings uh, made in God's image. We rush around in a frantic, in a rat race of life, always planning to rest, but we never seem to get to it. You know, the problem is that um, uh, somebody says that we, um, that uh, people are in the world being crucified by two thieves, uh, between two thieves. The thief of regret of yesterday and worries about tomorrow, and that's why we don't enjoy today. So anyway, relying on the modern means of transportation and communication, we try to live two or three days at a time, and the truth is that we run headlong into this weekly cycle. We run into it every week, doesn't it? We get to Friday and say, thank God it's Friday. And before you know it's Monday again. And so God blessed the seventh day for a reason. There was a famous foreign scholar who came to America to lecture, and he was met at the railroad station by the university host where he was going to give the lectures. And the host said this, he said, if we run quickly, we can catch the next train and save ourselves three minutes. And uh, this very scholarly lecturer said, and what significant thing shall we do with the three minutes that we save by running? <laughs> Isn't that what we run into all the time? So three minutes, yeah, okay. Anyway, God has done many wonderful things during the six days of creation, but the climax of the whole creation week was the fact that God rested after his work. God has sanctified his work, as well as rest. Uh, but it's rest that seems to be the greatest thing that we really need. Augustine made a statement like this. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And we ought to take a lesson from that. Augustine was right. He, he, made, uh, he made us for himself, but our hearts are restless until we learn to rest in him. Augustine was right. And then that brings us to the second point, uh, the second Sabbath that we find in the Bible. And that was the national Sabbath for Israel. Uh, it, was a, it was not only made for God himself, but God made the Sabbath for Israel. It's interesting that, that God never, we can't find in the Bible that God ever required that any other nation observe the Sabbath day. Can't find that anywhere. He made it for Israel as a national symbol, a symbol for them, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, uh, there is no mention of the Sabbath in the Scripture until we get to the book of Exodus where Israel's out in the wilderness and, and God provided for them the manna, and then God begins to, to teach them uh, about the Sabbath, that they were not to gather it on the Sabbath day. Remember that? That on the sixth day they were to gather enough for the Sabbath day because why? The Sabbath day was a day of rest. Do your cooking on, on uh, Friday and then on Saturday rest. And uh, so on. And so there's some... Uh, the Lord related this special day of... Uh, this national day for Israel uh, to some various important events. 
Uh, number one is a given, we just talked about that, that the Sabbath was connected with creation. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 20. This will be familiar to you. You don't need really to turn there. But, uh, but in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, thy cattle, thy stranger that's within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, and hallowed it, or sanctified it. Same thing that we read in uh, the second chapter of Genesis chapter 1. And so it was connected with God in creation. God, uh, God was the generous giver of all that, uh, that they needed, all that Israel needed. And they had to acknowledge him by worshiping the creator and not the creation. Uh, God didn't want them to worship his creation. God set aside a day, sanctified it for them as a national day for Israel, so that they would have a specific day of the week where they could set aside just to worship God and appreciate all of his creation, everything that he had done. And, um, and so that was a good uh, reminder of them. Moses even mentioned the weekly needed rest of the servants and the farm animals, and in the, not only in that chapter, but also in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 12 tells us that that uh, even the farm animal, animals needed to be rest. Now the cows needed to be milked because that cycle goes on, you know. But you weren't to work with your ox or your donkey out in the field. Give them a rest. Give the animals a rest. They were God's created beings, just like man was. Man needed a rest. And so did the other uh, created beings. And so... Um, the Lord commanded his people to observe every seventh year as a sabbatical year, every 50th year as a year of jubilee, and um, uh, even the land itself needed a rest every seventh year. You know, I, I was brought up in farm country, worked on a farm all my life, all my life up until I went to college. And uh, I learned that there were farmers in our area that uh, every seven years they would leave a uh, they would leave a plot of ground. They would leave a field vacant. They would just let leave it rest. And um, uh, they did that so it would regenerate some nutrients and so forth in the soil. Now nowadays the farmers load it all down with fertilizer and all kinds of um, artificial nutrients, you know. But back in those days, farmers learned to to give their their, their land, a sabbatical, uh, a Sabbath. And it was for a purpose. And so it was given, it was connected with creation. And then secondly, the Sabbath was a sign of a significant relationship between Israel and Jehovah, Jehovah God. And uh, you could read those verses there in Exodus chapter 31. But one verse particularly there in in Exodus chapter 31, this would be 13, 
says, Verily my Sabbath you shall also keep for a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Why? Well, he answers that question in the next phrase. He says that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. And so the Sabbath was a sign of a special relationship that God had with Israel at that time. He says, I want you to observe the Sabbath so you'll be reminded of who I am. So you won't forget me. Anybody remember the blue laws? Yeah. Uh, all the stores were closed, you know, everything except the essential places like drugstores and so on. They were all closed. But you know what's happened now? Everything's open. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, we have no, nothing significant to remind us that Sundays, there's something special about Sunday. It's not the Lord's Day anymore to our society. It is to me. It is to you. But, but, but we've done away with the very thing that God gave us to be reminded of who he is. So we, can, we have at least one day of the week that we can focus on him. Now, <clears throat> uh, Israel during the Sabbath time, during the Sabbath day, they didn't spend all day praying and, and uh, in church or in synagogue or whatever. But it was a time just to reflect on the Lord all day, all day, all day. But now we go to work, it's just another day of the week. Sunday's just another day of the week. And, uh, and to many Israelites today, even, even in Israel, um, uh, only among the Orthodox Jews in Israel, Sabbath is still a very special day. Uh, everything is normal, you know, it's just a normal work day. Your boss expects you to come, come to work on Sunday. I could park there for a while, I'd better move on. But you know, if Christians had said, nothing doing, the Lord's day is God's day and I'm not going to come, I'm not showing up at work on Sunday. If we'd have done that several years ago, we'd still have the blue laws. And but why do we need blue laws anyway? We have God's law. Okay, preacher, move along. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, number three, Sabbath was connected with Israel's deliverance from Israel. Be a good idea to turn to that passage in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 12, says this. Deuteronomy 5, beginning at verse 12, says, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do, thou shalt not, uh, do any work, uh, thou nor thy neighbor, thy, uh, thy son, thy neighbor, the manservant, maidservant, uh, thy ox, ass, thy cattle, stranger within thy gates, uh, manservant, so on. Verse 15, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand, by a stretched out arm, and therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. And so it's, um, 
uh, it's connected with Israel's deliverance from from Egypt. God said, uh, I want you to remember my deliverance. That's why I want you to keep the Sabbath day. It'll help you remember where you came from, the rock from which you were hewn, you know. So both the weekly Sabbath and the annual Passover feast would remind Israel of God's mercy and his power in freeing the nation from bondage. And furthermore, this weekly day of rest would also be a foretaste of the rest that they would enjoy in the promised land. Uh, Before they got to the promised land, God gave them the Sabbath. Remember, I delivered you from Egypt, but remember where you're going. It's a reminder that there's something better yet to come, the promised land. And uh, by the way, the promised land is not a picture of heaven. Canaan's not a picture of heaven. Uh, Canaan was a place of war, conflict, and so forth. Uh, If anything, um, Canaan is a picture for us, is a picture of the life that we're living today. Uh, that song, you know, uh, Cross Over Jordan, what is that? How's that song go? Um, you cross Over Jordan, you know, that the, 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 the picture that's to be visualized when you sing that song is you're passing over the river to go to heaven. When uh, Israel passed over Jordan, they weren't on the way to heaven. They were on their way to, to war. Uh, they were on their way to winning victories just as you and I today are to win victories in this lifetime, waiting for the time that we will go to heaven. All right, little side note that was. The nation of Israel eventually declined spiritually. They didn't deserve God's law, which included the Sabbath law. Uh, they were ultimately punished for their disobedience. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was swallowed up by Assyria, the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken captive into Babylon. And, uh, and by the time the ministry of Jesus came along, the scribes and the Pharisees had added their traditions to God's word, turned the law, into, uh, turned the law and the Sabbath into a religious bondage. And um, the few provisions that Moses had written were now expanded into numerous regulations Jesus rejected those traditions and even performed miracles on the Sabbath day. And he said the Sabbath was made for for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so it was connected to Israel's deliverance. And so the third Sabbath day that we run into in the scripture is a spiritual Sabbath day for Christians, for believers. And uh, we could go to the book of Hebrews, but I'm running out of time on this. And so in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and we're not going to turn there and read that passage, but let me just kind of give you the gist of what it's all about. Hebrews 4 brings together God's creation rest, found there in verse 4 of Hebrews 4, and Israel's Canaan rest, and that's in verse 8, to teach us about the spiritual rest that believers have in Christ. And so we have a Sabbath as well, but it's in Christ. It's in Christ. When you trust Jesus Christ, you enter into the new creation and into his spiritual rest. You also enter into the spiritual inheritance that he gives 
all who trust Jesus Christ. Believers are not under bondage to keep the law because the Holy Spirit fulfills the righteousness of the law in us as we yield, as we yield to God. The first Christians believe, uh, believers met and they worshiped and, and had fellowship, but they also gathered together on the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And so the first day was known as the Lord's Day. But to make the Lord's Day into a Christian Sabbath is to confuse those two days, what they stand for in God's plan of salvation. And here's what it's all about. I don't know if I left this paragraph in your notes or not, but <clears throat> it's the paragraph that begins, the seventh day of the week, the Jewish Sabbath. Is that in your notes? Well, let me just read it for you. You can read it, but let me read it. The seventh day of the week, the Jewish Sabbath, symbolizes the old creation and the covenant law. First you work, then you rest. But when you come to the New Testament, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, symbolizes the new creation and the covenant of grace. First you believe in Christ, and then you find rest in Him, and then you work. The Old Testament, it's the other order. You work and find rest. Under grace, you find, uh, you find uh, rest and go to work. We work together with the Lord. And that's going to be an important thing uh, here in, in the near future that we're going to talk about. Uh, the, Spirit enable, the, the Spirit enables us to make the entire week an experience of worship, praise, and service to the glory of God. And the Jewish Sabbath law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, so we're not under obligation for that any longer. There was a faint, whoops, I went back to the wrong place. That brings us to the second uh, first that we find here in the book of Genesis, and that's the first home. In Genesis chapter 2, going back to Genesis chapter 2, each one of these major points could be a Sunday school lesson in itself. Uh, verses 2 through 14 tells us about the first home. Uh, 4 through 14, Genesis 2, 4, 4 through 14. It begins like this. These are the generations of the, uh, generations of the heavens and the earth uh, when they were created and the day the Lord made uh, the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field, etc. I'm not going to read all that passage. But anyway, on the third day of creation, God brought forth vegetation and, uh, and provided a mist of water to water the plants. And that's here in this passage uh, where he uh, provided. Uh, verse 5 says, And every plant of the field before it was uh, in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord had, uh, had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Uh, the mist is mentioned in one of those verses. Verse 6. Oh, okay, next verse, yeah. And but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. You realize that there was no rain on the earth until the flood? God's provision for uh, watering his creation at that time was evidently a canopy of mist or something, is the way it's been described by some uh, Bible teachers. 
uh, that uh, there was a mist upon the earth, but no rain. Uh, there was no rain until uh, that was a rain was the first thing on the earth uh, during the flood. And so God provided a mist uh, to, uh, to take care of his, um, uh, of his um, creation. And, um, and so uh, in, uh, uh, in these verses, um, uh, in verse uh, 4, uh, uh, we find the first of 11 generation statements found in the book of Genesis. And so we have, first of all here, Adam, the worker. God needed somebody to take care of his garden. So he created a man for that purpose. On the third day of creation, God, God brought forth vegetation and provided the mist of waters. I already read that. And yet you'll find that rain was not mentioned to the flood. It's interesting that God needed someone to till the earth and to help produce the food that was needed. God made man stewards of his creation. And, uh, and uh, God and man worked together. For God put Adam into the garden to do his work in tilling the soil and caring for it. There was a retired man living in a community. He got tired of seeing the ug an ugly vacant lot that was on his path when he walked, took his walk in the morning. He just got tired of seeing that ugly vacant lot. So he asked the owner for permission to plant a, a garden there. It took days for him to haul away the accumulated ru uh, rubbish that had gathered there. And, uh, and he worked real hard on it, but, but, uh, but he, he got it in decent shape. And the next year, the lot was attractive with life and beauty, and everybody noticed it. And uh, there was one person that made the comment, God has certainly given you a beautiful piece of property. He admired the flowers and the landscaping and so forth. And the, the gardener, the guy that had planted it all, says, yes, he, yes, he has. But you should have seen this property before God had it by himself. We chuckled at that. But it's a, it's a true statement. It's nothing irreverent about that statement. Because God says we're to work with him, right? Uh, in fact, um, uh, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. And you know, we've often equated that verse with our working in God's vineyard and, you know, witnessing and so forth. But that's every aspect of our life. God created us to work with him. And so he put man in the garden to keep it. And, uh, and so he did. And um, work isn't a curse, it's an opportunity to use our abilities and our opportunities in cooperating with God and uh, in being fruitful stewards of God's creation. And um, <clears throat> uh, we should be able to say at the end of our life, I've glorified thee on the earth, I've finished the work which thou hast given me to do. Jesus said that actually, John chapter 17. So Adam was a worker and then secondly, letter B, Adam the tenant. Uh, Look at verses 11 through 14 here. It says the name of the first, that's the river. Let's go back to verse 10. 
And the river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was, uh, it was parted and it became into four heads. And the name of the first was Pison. That is that which compassed the whole land of Havilah. And there was gold. And the gold that, the, the gold that is, uh, the, the gold of the land is good. Uh, there is Bedellum, uh, Bedellum, however you pronounce that. And the uh, onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same has also compassed the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hydeco, which is the Tigris. Um, that, is to, that, that, that is it which goeth toward the east of Syria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Put up that uh, map, Mary Lynn. Um, <clears throat> you'll see there the Tigris, Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Uh, these are two of the rivers that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Uh, the other two, we're not really sure where the other two rivers were located at the time. But um, some Bible scholars, uh, and this is subjective, this is not set in concrete, but you see that red arrow down there? Some Bible scholars believe that that might be where the Garden of Eden was located in that area, between the Tigris and the Euphrates River where it comes together and then feeds down into the Persian Gulf. Um, <clears throat> and it's, that's speculation. We don't really know where the Garden of Eden was located. The truth is if we knew where it was located there would be a big shrine there and people would worship it. Why have we never found the ark, uh, Noah's ark? People think they've found it, you know, from time to time that somebody, oh, we found the ark. And then they find out, no, it's not the ark. Why, why haven't we found that? Why haven't we found where, Mo why, why did God make it a secret where he buried Moses? Because somebody would plant a shrine there and we'd worship it. And that's the reason why we don't know where the Garden of Eden was. God gives us some general area, and that's probably the general area where it was up there in Babylon and the lower part of Iraq or Turkey up in that area. But we don't really know for sure. And the reason we don't know is because uh, we would be worshiping that. Instead of worshiping the Creator, we'd be worshiping His creation. And God's not pleased with that. And so, uh, so we just don't know where the Garden of Eden was actually located, you see. All right, you can skip that next uh, map, Mary Lynn, and go on to the next point here. Uh, the first covenant found in Genesis chapter 16 and 7, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, says this. And the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat thereof. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eat thereof, it shall, uh, thou shalt surely die. God made a covenant with man. Uh, what is a covenant? 
Well, first of all, uh, notice God's command here. Um, and then, and then uh, a covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties that governs their relationship. The word command is introduced here at this point because it's, God's, it's God who makes the terms of this agreement. God made an agreement with man here. That's what a covenant is. Made an agreement with man. But it's a one-sided covenant. God made, God made the terms of the covenant. And he said, um, there's a tree there. If you eat the fruit of one of them, you're going to die. Uh, the other one is for life, the tree of life. But there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat that, you're going to die. Okay. Um, <clears throat> God had given great honor and a privilege to Avon by making him the vice regent of that of the earth. We talked about that two weeks ago. But with privilege always comes responsibility. And so the same divine word that brought the universe into being also expresses God's love and his will for Adam and Eve and their, and their descendants. And so obedience to this word would keep them in the sphere of God's fellowship and approval. And all of God's commandments are good commandments. And they bring good things to those who obey them. In fact, uh, John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, uh, and his commandments are not grievous. And so when God makes a commandment and we're willing to keep it, it's a good thing for us. But if we want to break his commandments, then there's some consequences that are associated with that. And so that brings us to the next point, man's testing. Man's testing. God placed two special trees in the middle of that garden, a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating from the tree of life would confer immortality to them. That's in verse 22. But eating from the second tree would confer experiential knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, but it also bring death to them. And uh, since they had never experienced either evil or death, you think about that, God puts a test before them. Now, they, had, they don't know what death is. They had never experienced it. They didn't know what evil was. They had never experienced that. But God says if you eat of that tree, you're going to experience both of them. And so they got experienced pretty quickly, didn't they? When they disobeyed God. Adam and Eve were, were like innocent children until then. And when they disobeyed God, they became like God in being able to discern between good and evil, but they became unlike God in that they lost their sinless state and became sinners and became subject to death. You know, when God tells us something, He means it, He means business. And when we transgress that covenant, uh, we pay the consequences of it. Now, why did God test Adam and Eve like this? Why was there a test? There's a reason for that. God wanted mankind to love and obey him freely and willingly, and not because they were programmed like robots with no choice. God could not be pleased. God could not be praised. God could not be honored if he had programmed each one of us and we were like robots, and he's up in heaven pulling the strings. There's no, there would be no pleasure to God. 
You see, God made us with the ability to make choices. And we can make good choices or we can make bad choices. When we make the right choices, we glorify God and we, and we honor the image in which we are created, the image of God. But when we disobey God, we dishonor his image. And there's consequences that are, that are connected uh, with that. And that brings us to the next point, the first marriage, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. At the close of the sixth day of creation, God surveyed everything that he made and he says, we've already said it, it's very good. But now he looks at one of the segments of his creation. He says, that's not good. It says it right here in this verse. God says, that's not good. Um, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. And uh, so, why was it not good? Uh, why, why was man's, uh, what was not good about man's solitude? After all, Adam could fellowship with God. He could enjoy the beauty of the garden. He could eat the fruit of it, some of it. He could accomplish his daily work. He could even play with the animals. What more could he want? But God knew that Adam had a very special need. He needed a helpmeet. That word helpmeet literally means a helper suitable for him. There was no such helper among the animals. And so God made a woman. He presented to him as his wife, as his companion, as his helper. She was God's special gift of love. And so that brings us to letter A, the dignity of woman, of woman. Verses 18 through 20. And I'm not going to read those verses because I'm out of time. Out of time. What? Three more minutes. What? Three more minutes, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We get that time from the train, right? All right, let me go quickly. Actually, I've got three more pages of notes here. I can't do that in three minutes. Um, but anyway, the day, you, got the, you got the notes filled in anyway, but the people watching by live stream don't. So let me go quickly and fill in the blanks at least, okay? Here we go. Tighten your seatbelt. The dignity of the woman. Um, She's not a lesser creature. Adam was made from the dust. Eve was made from Adam's side, bone of his bones, flesh of his, uh, flesh of his flesh. Matthew Henry, put up Matthew Henry's quote. There we go. Matthew Henry said she was not made out of his head to rule over him, um, not out of his foot to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, near his heart to be beloved by him. Paul says the woman is the glory of the man. The woman has dignity. She's his equal. Our wives are our equal men. We should treat them like that. And then number two, the sanctity of marriage. Um, the pattern for marriage is not, was not conceived by Adam. This was not Adam's plan for marriage. This was God's plan. And so I'm going to have to give you this real quick. Are you ready? 
Here we go, letter B, letter A, number one rather. Number one, God wanted a suitable companion for Adam, so he gave him a wife. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther called marriage a school for character. And that's exactly what it is, isn't it? A school for character. Number two, he provided Adam with the right to enjoy sex and have children. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Number three, he established marriage to encourage self-control. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 1 through 9, but let me just quote a part of verse 9. It says, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so he created marriage for a means to, to encourage a means of self-control. Um, a marriage that is built only on sexual passion is not likely to be as strong and mature marriage. Sexual love ought to be enriching, not just exciting. The marriage partners need to, need to respect one another and not use one another. And uh, there's consequences if we step outside of that. Paul tells us in the book of uh, Romans that whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Number four, marriage is an illustration of the loving and intimate relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And we're very familiar with the passage in Hebrews, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter five, uh, often a passage that we use during the marriage ceremony and other times there, that God created the church to be his bride. And so when Adam saw his bride, he burst with joy. This is Genesis chapter 23, chapter 2, verse 23. As though to say, at last I have a suitable companion. And her identity as woman will always remind us that she was taken out of man. The term man will always be a part of woman. Don't forget that. All right? All right, there's more here, but we'll have to close for now. We need to go eat. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much for your word, for the privilege to study it. Thank you again, Lord, for those who've been able to come back and rejoin us in our class. May the word of God teach us today to love you more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.